1: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Are you ready to take a walk with Buzz Knight on the What Difference Does Make podcast?
0: Uh, Very good, Dave. I think it's time for us to be taking a walk.
1: We are not going to take an actual walk, but that is what Buzz Knight does on his podcast, Taking a Walk. He strolls the halls of the Country Hall of Fame. He strolls the streets of New York. He strolls through Walden Pond. We just sit in our garage and and just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. but that's what we're going to do today right
0: yes we are but we should also say we know buzz because he has had a long and storied career in radio so that's what part of the reason we wanted to talk to him
1: we will get into all of that and we'll be the first part the second part as we do is look at the songs that k-rock played back in 1986 first we'll learn a little bit about buzz then we're going to learn a little bit about k-rock from 1986 so why don't we get into that right now on the what difference does it make podcast Buzz night? How you guys doing? Good. How are you? Right. Nice to see you. Yeah. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course.
0: Congratulations on your podcast. Thank you kindly. It sounds like you're having a having so much fun.
2: It is fun. It's uh, learning uh, new tricks and relearning uh, old tricks as well. So, yeah, I love it.
1: Old tricks like actually taking a walk through the city of New York or Weldon Pond. We're enjoying it
2: and I'm just grateful to, you know, connect with the old friends and connect with new friends. So.
0: But do you pick your locations based on where you want to be or how do you choose Uh,
2: a little bit of everything? And then also uh, after about the first year of it, I did open up the ability to do some virtual stuff. uh, If I was just salivating at the idea of getting somebody, but I waited about a year and I still prefer to take a walk.
1: Yeah, your latest one was with Paula Abdul at CES, where you wouldn't expect her.
2: Yeah, that was like a last minute little get. What really made that worth it is I'm working on this other podcast project. The working title is Music Saved Me. So I was able to get about 90 seconds out of Paula. That'll be a great production clip about her love of music how it helped her growing up being uh dyslexic how there were physical problems with hip dysplasia growing up and how music was this healing force so actually that made the whole thing worthwhile getting this amazing clip out of her
1: all right so you do this podcast the same reason we do the podcast is just to reconnect with friends And you seem to have accumulated a lot of friends over the course of your career. And you started way back uh, in college, uh, in Dayton. Are you from Ohio? Is that uh, where you originated? I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. Oh, okay. The University of
2: Dayton somehow was known as this big party school to people (laughs) from the East Coast that probably helped the discovery. But truth be known, they had a commercial... FM 50,000 watt radio station. It was called WVUD FM. And that was my dream for going there is to be able to get to work there. And if I probably never got work there, I probably wouldn't have graduated from there, to be honest.
1: How'd you get your foot in the door over there? When you got a
2: job, it was usually the overnights, and uh, then you had to stay through the summer. So you were committed through uh, you know, a time everybody else would normally leave, and that was your penance that you paid. <laughs> so after that, I ultimately migrated to do this show called The Wax Museum, which was 6 to 10 p.m., and uh, that's how I finished out my time there.
0: It's a penance. They're making sure that you're committed.
2: Oh yeah, or else be committed.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah that's exactly what, <laughs> that wording. What might we hear on the wax museum? And I like wax feeling you know, like a turntable type. Uh, you're you're spinning wax. Is that where that came from, or what, did you come up with wax museum? It predated me okay. uh,
2: with a number of other hosts. One was a guy named Alan McConnell, who would then go on to be called, like he is today, Mike McConnell. He's a talk show guy uh, out of Cincinnati uh, of, of a very successful note. So he was a previous host. But basically it would be, here's Frampton Comes Alive, side one. you know, I Side mean, one. <laughs> it, was, it was the chance for us to put on a side and then go out, back uh, behind the dumpster and do God knows what. And then if you got locked out, you had somebody who was watching the studio. You had to throw a rock up there to have them come down and, and, and let you back in.
1: Okay. Now I have to ask, do you still have those nightmares? You wake up in the middle of the night and the record is over and you're locked out.
2: I have two nightmares, the locked out nightmare. And the, when you turn the microphone on, nothing comes out of your... Your mouth nightmare.
1: Yep. It's you got over it. Yeah. No. No, <laughs> no. He's, he still gets it.
0: I guess you never get over it, right? Never. Yeah.
1: All right. So, and that brings, okay, so you said Mikey, or Mike became Mikey. You can't be a Buzz Knight. Who are you? Who? <laughs> so,
2: um, I have a, a real name, which is Bob Kosak. And um, actually, when I worked in New York at WNEW-FM, I was working there Saturdays and Sundays as Bob Kosack, and Monday through Friday at I ninety five in Fairfield County, Connecticut, I was Buzz Knight. So um, I was I had dual identity, and believe it or not, the dual identity had nothing to do with the witness protection program.
1: <laughs> Did someone give you the name, or was it flipping through the dictionary, or was it Buzz Aldrin? <laughs> what what happened? What, how are you it's a Buzz? It's a variation on Bob. Do you have co- coffee fan? What are you addicted to that gave you the, the buzz? I have one friend who
2: took Bob and shortened Bob to Boz, B-O-Z, as in like Boz Skaggs. And basically, he ultimately ran into Boz Skaggs at some record company event. And then he comes back from the event, and he says, Boz's friends call him Buzz, so I'm gonna call you Buzz from now on. And I said, that's fine. So when I had to go take the job or accept the job in Connecticut, uh, they had wacky names back then. The afternoon guy was Stormin' Norman. He still exists to this day, I think, on the radio somewhere. The guy I replaced was uh, nicknamed Red Eye, you get the picture here, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I had to submit a, a name and I submitted about 10 or 12 names. And I literally walked in to do my first show and they said, hello, Buzz. So I, I was stuck from there on. And,
0: so it was chosen for you. Okay. Can you tell us some of the other ones?
2: And- oh. right, I'll give you one. <laughs> it's very painful. I'm still in therapy over these names. Ronco Bob.
0: I think that would have set you down the country path.
1: Horrible. Hor- horrible. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'll give you one more. <laughs> this is the one you're going to hang up on me and discontinue this, this. The Mystic Traveler. Well, this is when there was a DJ in New York at NEW years before I was there. Her name was Allison Steele. She was known as the Nightbird. So that was sort of influenced by Allison's you know, reading a poetry and all that, but these are horrible names. So this is, this is, yeah, I'm bearing my soul
1: to you, Holly and (laughs) Dave. You chose wisely. So you want, you graduated from Dayton and then you're like, I need to get out of Dayton. I want to go back home. Is that what happened? Or did you send it all over the place going wherever someone wants me is where I will go. I got a job
2: for six weeks at a station in Lexington, Kentucky, Called WKQQ. 10 years of in Central Kentucky. 98 Rock, double Q. WKQQ, Lexington. And it was an overnight position that paid about $140 a week and uh, had no car. It just didn't work out. It was not meant for me. I left six weeks in, went back home work for a uh, a carpet installing company for about a month, and then I would get the job at I-95 uh, where I was there for almost 10 years.
0: And then how far into that did you start in New York? Uh,
2: that would have been about
1: five, six years in. Working seven days a week then, right? Yeah. That's right.
0: Was that common back then where where Air Personalities did double duty to different stations?
1: Yeah,
2: there was some folks who did that. It was a lifelong dream to get to work at WNEW-FM. I grew up listening to the station as somebody who lived, grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. So when Charlie Kendall, who was the program director, said, no, I don't really have any positions open unless you want to do some weekends, I absolutely jumped at
1: the chance and you ended up being you were the morning guy at uh, i-95 I,
2: I was mornings and program director at that time yep
1: wow uh, program director and then you would go to do a part-time gig that's that's right <laughs> that's how well radio pays okay and to put it in perspective i made more two days a week i was <laughs> yeah
2: in new york than i did five days a week
1: yeah yeah Radio is always weird in that you're always depending if you're in a small market. It's like there, we know you're going to leave eventually. You're going to move somewhere else. It's like, like a training ground, I guess, and everyone has to accept that. I mean, yep. as, the, as the program director, did you who were you nurturing? Who was uh, who was on there?
2: There was a uh, a guy uh, by the name of Ethan Carey who was at that station i ninety five. He may still be there. I think he may have been redelegated, but. Uh, I hired him back then, and he, until recently, or is still there. So he was part of that. It's a guy named Tim Sheehan, who ultimately would program I-95. I think he works now for WPLR in New Haven. Yeah. i worked for a gentleman by the name of John Fulham, and John would go on to run CBS radio for a while. We were fortunate to get him to work for us when I worked for Greater Media, and we're still friends to this day, so great.
1: And this was an album rock format, correct?
2: This was album rock, although when there was a period of time that early on, when K-Rock captured the the fancy of the nation, I-95 went down the rock of the 80s (laughs) road, and um, it lasted about nine months. It was hard to get members of that staff to even know how to pronounce Depeche Mode less. play it.
0: So why didn't it take hold there? Whereas a person, and you mentioned it yourself, we've spoken to Larry, the duck, why it took off on WLAR, but why not a nine ninety five?
2: Well, I think when, when you try to do something like that and you keep the existing personalities, that probably is not a good idea. First of all, cause they didn't really live the lifestyle. They didn't go to the clubs. They didn't really, you know, just live and breathe it. So you start right there. And then you probably look at a bit of the, the geographic makeup there. That station was in an area that was highly blue class and and probably slower to be tastemakers.
0: Because we see it as the same, you know, it's the same part of the country, roughly. But as you know,
2: besides the LIR success, which truly owned and captured the New York metropolitan market, the alternative format when it comes to New York city in general has had kind of an interesting and challenging run at
1: times Yeah. to this day. Could you get into Manhattan at all? Or where could we hear your station?
2: You could hear it there, but you had to do some maneuvering. Yeah. Yeah. We thought we were the biggest deal when we would show up in the New York rating with a 0.7. We were like, Oh my God, we were big. And that was
1: probably one listener. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Help sales, though, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about <laughs> spinning it. So, it was the morning show where you uh, you weren't a morning zoo or anything? The morning show actually coming to the present
2: in terms of interviews and interest me. The show had a lot of interviews on comedians, uh, musicians. Those were probably the backbone of the interviews. But we also used theater of the mind in a big way. We really just tried to capture the audience and just try stuff. It was a time where we barely had to ask permission. We didn't have to go to a lawyer to be denied something. And we just tried stuff. I'll give you an example. The Danbury State Fair was the big Connecticut fair nearby and they shut it down. I forget the year. But we decided the following year when the fair would normally take place to create with theater of the mind, a show as if the fair was actually going on all the background sound effects and, you know, sort of games that would happen on, you know, the the whole carnival area and stuff. And we fooled some people actually, (laughs) too. They actually thought it was really happening. So We would just do things like that. Or if you wanted to go up on the roof of the radio station to do your show on a sunny Friday afternoon, then you did that. You just did stuff. It was the freedom of expression. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Was it an independent owner at the time?
2: It was. It was a company called Home News that owned a few radio stations and they owned some newspapers. So, yeah, it was a very small uh, ownership. And... At first, the radio station was literally in a haunted stone house.
1: So you, you probably had some great Halloween shows then, right? Did you, did you exploit that? Yeah, we did. Even
2: though I never felt I saw Lester the ghost. Other people <laughs> actually felt like they did. But I never really felt I experienced Lester. But, you know, maybe I should have been a little more aware.
1: All right. So th- so you said you were there for 10 years and then you moved on. Was this to Boston or where where'd you go afterwards?
2: I went to uh, Columbus, Ohio. Back to Back Ohio, to Ohio. I went to a station, WLVQFM ninety six. Into our second decade of rocking and rolling, WLVQ FM ninety six, Columbus. Which I have a feeling that might have been when I first met you, Holly.
0: That is where we met. I just, I was going to ask you the question when you said LVQ. That was it. So, so I was at Westwood One at the time.
2: Yep, that Westwood. sounds right. I went there to do afternoon drive and be program director. And I fired myself from the afternoon drive part about a year in because I felt like I couldn't do both well enough. So I I really wanted to concentrate then just on programming. But it was an amazing station. And uh, Columbus is a great place to, to be. Made a lot of great friends there to this day. What was great about the station is it had a mentality that was... If we did a great promotion, the next time we went back to that promotion, maybe we we needed to top ourselves. Mm -hmm. There was always this push to to top ourselves to be greater than we were previously. That was instilled in the walls. So uh, we did a lot of those Grammy broadcasts, for example, and that was not cheap. That was expensive back then, but that was really... Thinking big, just trying to have cool promotions, just really trying to own word of mouth and and be be the station of record.
1: Yeah, it's important. Well, Columbus, that's Ohio State. That's a huge population there that's those those are your people there, right? That's and we had a great
2: promotion. I'll never forget this. So John Cooper was the uh, coach of Ohio State then. So we had a really uh, football team and so we had a really link to what was going on, obviously with that football team. So we would do a big pregame party at the varsity club. And one day we decided to do a promotion called meet Mr. Cooper. That's how we framed it. But it wasn't John Cooper that people came to meet. It was Alice Cooper. We just like sprung that on the audience. And then suddenly, you know, they walked in and there's Alice (laughs) signing autographs and hanging out. And it was that type of promotion that we just like to do. We always wanted to just, get that word of mouth action going.
0: Those are the kind of local promotions that are sorely missed now. Those I mean, that is unique to that market.
2: Yeah. And and just to do the things that you just, just want to go for it. That's, I hate to come back to lawyers, but uh, we have lawyers and we have rules, but I'm sure most of the stuff that we did, we couldn't get away with now somehow.
1: You're at Columbus and now. And then we got a competitor.
2: We got, there was a format that was, I guess I'd sort of call it Rock 40 is what it was called. Hmm. And it was kind of a next generation rock sort of format. So this station came into Columbus. It was uh, called 92X and they really undercut my station. So I ended up getting fired, but they made an agreement. They said, you go look for work. We'll go look for a program director. And you know, we'll all be friends. And I said, that's fine. So I I looked for work. I had a great staff that sort of kept things together. They looked for a program director. Anyway, long story short, about three months into that search, the ratings that were down on LVQ, my station, suddenly skyrocketed. So our strategy paid off. So they hired me back <laughs> to replace myself. And my quote to R&R uh, was the last program director left things in pretty good shape. <laughs> that to be me. So I got rehired, even though I never left. And it was really, like I said, due to my great staff, Joe Robinson was one of the people who was part of my staff who kept it all really together and, you know, did such a great job. But the whole staff really did.
1: What was your strategy then when, you know, you had this Rock 40 station that's, you know, kind of a, tra- you know, I'm sure it was just banging those uh, quiet riot songs or, you know, all that stuff (laughs) constantly. What was your strategy to offset that?
2: Basically to try to co-opt everything they had that was any good and to, to take that leadership position and just try to smother them and to really ratchet down the things that were excessive and maybe sloppy on our station and also to just try to just make some noise with great word of mouth type of promotions but it was really just stick to it just stay firm just you know believe in you know what we had in terms of a loyal brand and everything will come back cuz we've really viewed that that was a flash in the pan format and to it, History really did prove that that format was at that time a flash in the pan.
1: Interesting. I'm sure it made you a better program director. That little challenge.
2: I think it. I think it did. I think it did. Stayed for another, I don't know, year, year and a half, and then, a gentleman who I knew because I competed against him in Columbus, named Steve Goldstein, who was running Saga Communications at that time. He recruited me to go to work for a station in Norfolk, Virginia, WNOR. This is FM
3: 99, WNOR and WNOR HD1 Norfolk, a Tidewater Communications LLC group station, powered by Pitbull Tobacco and more. The best products at the best prices in the 757. For locals, buy locals.
2: So I spent a couple of years uh, working for Saga in Norfolk, and. Learned a lot from working with Steve Goldstein, still friends with Steve to this day. Was just out at CES walking the floor with him. But then in um, the end of 92, I got a call to come to work in Boston for WZLX, the Classic Rock Station. That station was about to be sold to Infinity Broadcasting and Mel Carmisen's company. I was there for about 10 years. I also worked special projects for, for Mel and was the format captain for classic rock stations uh, across the country uh, in that run with, with him. So I got recruited to go to work for Greater Media after the 10 years with Infinity and CBS. I would work for Greater Media for 14 years. It was in charge of programming for them uh, across formats across the country. So that was my first Shot at corporate programming. And then when Beasley Broadcasting bought Greater Media in 2016, I stayed through the sale and stayed for three years working with Beasley in basically the same type of role, except a larger company, a lot more formats to, to work with. And then when my contract ended in 2019, I was just itchy to go off and try different things.
0: Are you consulting it all now? Project
2: basis for sure. Some talent coaching things, but who knew a uh, pandemic would come up and that would change a lot. So I worked uh, with some guys on a startup idea for about a year and a half. Uh, and af- after departing, it was a music storytelling platform. But we were great at ideas. We were horrible at fundraising. So really, then once that ended after about that year and a half, I came up with this idea of taking a walk and I had read this book about reverse engineering ideas and I was literally walking in Chicago after speaking at the morning show boot camp and I flashed on comedians and cars getting coffee, not just being about cars and coffee, but really being about conversation. And I'm no Jerry Seinfeld, but I decided to put my own take on taking a walk, an
1: interview format, and that's really where I've spent the brunt of my work. How do you know Doris Kearns Goodwin? I love her, she is my favorite. Doris was a neighbor,
2: oh. pretty much, <laughs> and, and we would go to the same Italian restaurant uh, frequently, and this collection of great people and occasional weirdos would all uh, populate this place, and Doris and her late hu- husband Richard—they were part of that group. So I literally got to know her from a local hang. Unfortunately, she's moved into Boston, so we don't see her as much. But she's a, she's a dear friend.
1: Also, you, uh, Peter Himmelman—he was on our podcast. He he must have been mm. fun. Did he have a guitar as you were strolling down, you know, Central Park? Where was that one?
2: We were at his farm in upstate New York. Oh, okay. And he actually, when there were some donkeys that were out that on in the field, he he was singing to the donkeys. So what a delightful spirit, creative force, great person, uh, super easy to talk to. very grateful for him giving me the time because that was early on in the podcast. when you're building something, getting those early yeses mm-hmm. means the world. Mm-hmm. you know,
0: yeah, from your whole career. you must have known. A lot of these people, you
2: know, it's, everything is connected somehow. So you just, sometimes you stop and you go, Oh, wait a minute. You know, I got an into to your through my friend from Columbus, Ohio. who used to be my insurance man. You know, that type of thing. You, if, when you stop to think you realize, yeah, there are some people out there who might be able to help. So people are, I mean, the podcast community, I mean, you guys are amazing. The community is amazing. And then when it's interconnected around guests or somebody knows someone, that type of thing, it's really inspiring how people help out.
1: We're learning a lot about Buzz Knight, but we're going to be taking a break right now on the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
0: And we're back on the What Difference Isn't Made podcast with Buzz Knight. And we're about to chat about songs played on K-Rock in 1986, number 100 to 91.
1: All right. Are you ready to go back in time to 1986? Uh, sure. Okay, so this is what we do. We, we've we been looking at all the songs K-Rock printed out their year-end list starting in the late 70s, ever since they were the world-famous K-Rock, and we've been counting them down as we go each year. Uh, and now we've reached 1986, and we're going to look at the songs 100 to 91 from the K-Rock best of 1986 year-end list. It's been a fun exercise because there are some songs that we know some songs that are just lost through time, and another, and a few that are just—you just scratch your head, going, "This was on the air? I can't believe this. This was amazing."
0: Be glad we didn't ask you to look at one hundred six point seven to one hundred one. That's for a treat. <laughs> you
1: never know, right? But it's what made K Rock, what K Rock is. I think that's why we're we're such fans of, of this music, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and it it was. Talent that was passionate about the music, unfortunately, that was not the case at I-95 at the time. That's what made K-Rock unique is that you heard the talent and they were all passionate about this music. They clearly loved it. It's a good lesson. Yeah.
0: They lived it. As you said, they lived a lifestyle for sure.
1: Okay, so we're going to go through 100 to 91, and song 100 is by this uh, solo singer. His name is Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Um, The song is Ruthless People. It's the the titular song from the movie Ruthless People. All right, first of all, I gave you a cheat sheet. Did you listen to that song? Did you remember that song at all, Ruthless People?
2: Absolutely. It was a power.
1: It was. It was.
2: Okay. Power in Connecticut, power in New York. Green.
0: Jagger was it the song itself or was it being Mick Jagger that made it so?
1: Mick. It was all Mick.
0: All Did Mick. you like the song?
1: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. It, it didn't hold up to anything from Let It Bleed, but it was it was good, <laughs> you know. It was still good. Yeah, I it, hate it.
1: Yeah, 86 was a weird time for the Stones. They they had uh I think uh, yeah. Ke- Keith and Mick were kind of on the outs. They put out this Dirty work album. Did you play anything from, was it just no matter what the stones put out, I-95 would play it?
0: Absolutely. Same with N E W too.
1: Yeah. And did you, have you ever met Mick Jagger? Did you get a chance to, to meet any of the stones, any, anything uh, that sticks out in your mind over the years, like a unique promotion or or what do you, what do you got of of a a stone story?
2: It was the best meet and greet that I ever went to in my life but it would be in Cincinnati when I was working in Columbus. So this would be a couple of years later. It was a before concert meet and greet. This was not 15 minutes, hi and bye, see you later. This was like over an hour of cocktails, food, play and pool, just this tremendous experience. Now, Mick looked like he would rather have been (laughs) anywhere else and Charlie Watts looked like he would rather have eaten dirt than been there. But all the other band members
1: were sensational and friendly, yeah. and it was a blast. That's amazing. Who was the opening act? Do you remember? It was always someone fun or some someone unique. Yeah. For some reason, I think Peter Tosh. Love it. I mean, come oh. on. They were so, yeah, the Stones were always so generous with the opening acts and just kind of, yep. this is this is someone you're, mm-hmm. we're into, you might be into it too. Here you go. Yep, Holly. Do
0: you remember *Ruthless People* at all? I didn't dig too deep, but I remembered the movie. Yeah. I remembered the song. Not a huge fan.
1: <laughs> movie's pretty good. <laughs> it's it's almost jarring it's seeing amazing. a young Danny DeVito. It was fun. Uh, and as we're going to find out, there was a lot of songs from movies. It, this was a thing. You were playing a lot of movie soundtracks. These were the promotions. This movie's crap, but we got uh, we got some artists that uh, you might be interested in.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. It'll get yeah the... Soundtracks were a big deal. I we'll mean, get the, the kids the, into it. Movie music was
1: a big deal. Yeah. Let's move on to 99. The Smiths, there is a light that never goes out. Where are you on The Smiths? Uh, I'm sure it was not played, even probably when you were an alternative radio station. <laughs> Are you a fan of the Smiths? For
2: some reason back then, I remember being frightened over Morrissey. (laughs) There was just something frightening to me, but I also respect the mystique and where I would hear the Smiths would not only be on WLIR, but I'd hear them when Scott Muni would do things from England. Mm -hmm. That was his special feature. So definitely familiar. Never ran into Morrissey. Probably a good idea.
1: <laughs> Scott Muni, would he just pick up whatever imports he could find and play it on the air? Is that what that show was?
2: Exactly. Whatever he wanted. There was no filter.
1: So he had some freedom. That's that's pretty cool. Did you give freedom to any of your jocks? <laughs> it depended who, who it was. Because freedom was an earned
2: you know right. So certain jocks... If you knew that they were really going to follow something up with something powerful, absolutely. Yeah. But the reason I laughed is probably not as much as I thought I did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so would anybody say you did That's is right. more of the question. Would any of the, of your jocks say that you gave them freedom?
1: Probably not. Yeah. Had to have the, the Buzz Night yeah. fingerprint on this station. The Smiths, they played 20 shows in 1986 and this was their biggest album. And they just kind of, Almost kind of blew off the United States. You know, you got it's. They, I'm sure a lot of UK bands came to town, or came to the United States and didn't realize how big this country really is. They were huge in Los Angeles. So they played four nights in Southern California. Mm-hmm.
2: They had a short run, but a powerful run as a band.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And this song in particular, this is the one that won me over. It's listed as uh, the 12th greatest song by NME. And uh, number 226 on Rolling Stone's top 500 greatest songs of all time. And it's, it's right up there for me. This is, this is the one that won me over and just uh, the Johnny Mars guitar and the vocals. I suddenly got the Smiths when I heard this song. Like, okay, now I understand what's, what's going on. And by that time, the Smiths had already played in Los Angeles and I never, ever got a chance to see them. How about you, Holly? Where, where were you on this song?
0: This is also probably my favorite Smith song. I've been up and down on the Smiths forever. I get why you might be scared of, of Morrissey, but yes, I do. I love this song. Yeah. And I probably don't say that about too many Smith songs. <laughs> the Queen is Dead album.
1: Well, that's I, that's this. That's right. That, yeah. This was their farewell. This is their let it yeah. be moment. I can't get enough of this song, and I, I wish it was higher on the charts, but uh, there, was, there were other Smith songs that K-Rock was playing. All right, so number 98 is In Excess. Kiss the Dirt, in parentheses, Falling Down the Mountain. Would imagine this would be a huge band for you, possibly. In excess, just when playing something new, this was probably, I'm going to guess this was something exciting for you. Yeah, In Excess
2: was that band that really hit mainstream stations. So it was not on the fringes of, you know, alternative that wouldn't make it on to mainstream. And it would also provide a lot of other you know, catalog over time. You know, they were a band that that seemed to thread together to other sounds, unlike some other alternative sounds mashing up against mainstream. So yeah, big band for many of my stations.
1: played 52 shows in, in the u.s they were really working hard to to break into the u.s holly and i still think of him as a great performer yeah just a dynamic uh presence were you into this holly like this album
0: um this was not my favorite nxs album you know i, I prefer the the two prior to this one shaboo Shaban and the swing
1: mm-hmm.
0: i mean i was a huge nxs fan so i liked it it just wasn't my favorite
1: yeah they they this was the first song of four from their album and yeah. um they did straddle alternative and album rock. I, yeah. I would imagine that, you know, in Los Angeles, it was played on KLOS. You know, this is a band that, that was alternative, but yet mainstream at the same time. It was yeah. kind of a, a fine line that uh, that they were able to, they kind of thread the needle there.
0: They had such a great presence. I miss them. <laughs>
1: what about you, Buzz? Well, they, Can- were, they were essential for mainstream
2: stations and, and other bands uh, were as well because these mainstream stations needed an infusion of, of some new
0: stuff. Right. You know, and it was rocking enough. Yes.
1: Yeah. It did make number 24 on the mainstream rock charts. There wasn't even a, an alternative rock chart back then. This was, this was it. Another solo act number 97, Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. This is from the movie that everyone remembers (laughs) American Anthem or, or not. I don't think any, everyone, I have a lot of blank stares. The song is called take it easy. I won't go into the movie which uh, Gene Siskel called <laughs> the, the pull quote is, the characters are laughable, the gymnastics are unattractive. There is nothing to recommend this film. Gene Siskel calling it like he sees it. And there was the song. People say I'm crazy.
2: this way i used to love watching cisco and ebert for that very point how they would just like you know just slice and dice something it's so brilliantly but i know i, I know andy taylor who he is obviously but don't know it at all <laughs> no, wait, hey. uh, holly
1: did you remember this song uh
0: i did Are... not remember the song i didn't remember the
1: movie You didn't remember this was you know it's no jim cotta which you know i love <laughs> do you know jim Cotta jim Cotta was with kurt thomas gold medalist Kurt Thomas and American Anthem was gold medalist Mitch Gaylord.
0: But this, what a great soundtrack. I mean, with the artists on the soundtrack, Stevie Nicks, well, John Parr NXS on the soundtrack for this movie. Well, sure. When you watch the trailer, in the movie.
1: you see the trailer like, Oh my God, this film looks horrible. And then, but then the tagline is with music by Mr. Mr. Stevie Nicks, Andy Taylor, John Parr and NXS. Like, okay, you're going to, you're going to hate this film, but we got great music. Please go see our film. But it seemed like these movies
2: were desperate to build an audience. And the strategy was exactly like, hey, let's just put a bunch of people who fans know as musicians. Yeah.
1: yeah. Let's get two good looking people. We'll get Mitch Gilord and Janet Jones, and we'll just throw them on screen and see what happens. It, it has even before a script. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah a 0% on okay. Rotten Tomatoes. Nobody likes this film.
0: I think we've still already spent too
1: much time on it. Anyway, this was the first that we see of Andy Taylor. By the way, Andy Taylor. We'll just say that he he's making the most of it of the time that he has on planet Earth. He put out three albums this year. He's touring with the band Reef, and uh, you know he's battling stage four prostate cancer. He just put out a, um, a statement on that. So, did you know? Mm-hmm. Were you, yeah, Duran Duran went into the the Rock Hall this year. Yeah. And they made the announcement that uh, that Andy wasn't there because of he has stage four. So yeah. check yourself, please. Yes. Um, anyway. And, and just to be clear, Duran
2: Duran was another of those bands like In that really made it into the, the mainstream. And then, you know, the derivatives such as Power Station certainly would as well. So they were, you know, they were a band that made the cut, if you will.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you were thrilled when the song like The Power Station came out or, you know, and with Bang A Gong, Thanks. you know, like, oh, this is perfect for us. I'm, I'm sure you played the, the hell out of that song. Yeah. 96. Oh, this is Erasure. Who Needs Love Like That? This is a debut from this band Erasure, Vince Clark, from the band that no one in Connecticut can pronounce, Depeche Mode. But this was his offshoot. And of course, K-Rock em- embraced erasure immediately. <laughs> It's a great dance song. I'm sure Holly, you
0: love this song. Yeah. You didn't mention Andy Bell, but I'm a huge, uh, you know, huge erasure fan, all of them. But, um, but I was, as I watched this, it was remarkable to hear how much their voices mimic Alison Moyer, who I adore. Um, probably not played by you, but and was that, was,
2: was she with uh, Yazoo? Is that yes. the sound?
1: right? Right. Oh, that's, yes. that's
0: correct. She and Vince Clark were, Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not played on any of your stations. No.
1: Well, with this video, they were Andy and Vince were dressed in drag and, you know, Queen had done this originally and they had they were banned from MTV because, you know, you d- you don't do that. Did you play I Want to Break Free by Queen? Was that something? Oh yeah. You did play that. Okay.
0: Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, uh it's just an interesting time. People had to kind of uh tread lightly i guess with uh, certain certain themes but um erasure did not exactly <laughs> yeah. made number eight on the the u.s club dance charts so now we move on to a <laughs> band here we go yeah this is why we do this number 95 the band is boom boom room here comes the man <laughs> and this sounds like they listen to a lot of duran duran arcadia you know power station And they tried like in the video they're I don't know Holly they're 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 trying to be unique and it's not really working.
0: I did watch them the fashion choices were odd I felt like it was just awkward I don't think there was anything you can't put a name to the dance I think he was just awkward the the whole thing was just just awkward including the song. Uh,
1: Awkward song yeah that's a good word awkward song by an awkward band that's charted for one week on the UK charts for uh, peaked at number 74 and then disappeared never to be heard from again or discussed until this podcast <laughs> so there you go let's keep moving on number 94 another Duran Duran offshoot Arcadia say the word With the will
3: to survive in- alive.
1: Which is a song that is not on their album, but is on the memorable movie soundtrack for Playing for Keeps. Anybody remember Playing for Keeps? There we go. I'm out.
0: (laughs) Do we have any preference of the bands that are offshoots of Duran Duran? And I know Dave likes Arcadia.
1: Yeah, this was a, I mean, if you're a Nick Rhodes fan, this is where Nick kind (laughs) of took over the band. I showed you the trailer. Did you watch the trailer? Do you, Holly, do you remember this? Directed by Bob and Harvey Weinstein. I even hate to say that name, but uh, it was, nope. this was, Nope. this was, yeah, notable. But of course the trailer ends with add music by Phil Collins, Arcadia, Peter Frampton, Pete Townsend, Julian Lennon, mm-hmm. Sister Sledge, mm-hmm. you know, and the rest. Uh, again, just a cynical take for, yeah, the kids will see any movie as long as we put, we put in some good music.
0: Mm-hmm. Nah. And that you, was my comment about You, the whole, you did the not whole go whole see comment. this. Okay.
1: <laughs> the only yeah. band member not to show up on our charts is John Taylor uh, on these this 10-song chunk. Every, every Duran Duran member was part of this chart except for John Taylor. All right. So spoiler alert. We will be talking about John Taylor probably next week with his own movie soundtrack submission. So look forward to hearing all about that. So then let's keep moving. Number 93 from... A movie under the cherry moon, the song "Kiss" by Prince and the Revolution. I never saw under the cherry moon. Did did uh, either one of you see that? I remember seeing all all,
2: all the movies in the theater. Yeah, uh, and um, being baffled by you know like this talent, right? Yeah, that like just sort of blew my mind. I didn't really understand where he fit in the ecosystem, but I knew he was amazing.
1: You play any Prince music? Were you playing? Were you on Purple Rain at all? Were, yes, you were. Definitely. Okay,
2: yeah. Much to the chagrin of my staff, I think, but yes.
1: Really? And why was that? Why do you think?
2: Just they were like preconceived notion. No, this isn't fit here. This is fits another format type. They might have been right, but we played it.
1: Did you play any Michael Jackson at all, or like Beat It? Did you play only them? Beat It because of Eddie Van Halen? Right, that right, right. Yep. Yeah. No, the weird,
2: weird time when you took shots on certain things, you know?
1: Yeah. How do you explain that to people? Like you're playing a song that you clearly believe in and do you try and sell it to them or are you just like, this is it? This is, this is buzz approved. So you're playing it. I think I tried to sell
2: it every time I played it to them. Probably didn't work.
1: <laughs> and Holly, where's the song kiss merit on your favorite print songs?
0: Oh, hi. I really love the song. I didn't remember it from under the, che- I mean, I didn't see under the cherry moon, but I can't, the video, I, I just, I would rather hear this. Oftentimes, you know, you want to see the video while you're listening to the song because it adds, I don't want to see the video. Oh, I
1: love the video. He's doing the, yeah. the moves and the, uh, and just with these.
0: Shirtlet, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if it's a distraction, not in a good way. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Yeah, you know? but I love the song. Okay. How about you?
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Love, you love, do love, everything love. Prince. love, 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 love it. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep moving because <laughs> this is my favorite of the of the our ten song chunk. This is my favorite, absolutely favorite song. This is by <laughs> Magazine 60, which I, I completely forgot about this song, but it's uh, the band is called Magazine 60. The song is Don Quixote, Noestan aquí. Everything about this song is bonkers. It's a French trio singing in Spanish.
0: Best is not. a didn't know the song. It was my wedding song. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, did you like the song? Yeah, I'm always up for a novelty song. Uh It reminded me of like the Macarena and and Los Ketchup. Remember the girls? Sure. The, it, it reminded me of those songs, but I like it. I, I don't know that it has longevity for me. I didn't really.
1: This is what set K Rock apart. Just hearing a song like this is like, oh yes, this is why yeah. I love this station. Um. I'm not going to hear this anywhere else, anywhere, and probably wasn't played anywhere else in the country. But I thought it was just fun and tongue-in-cheek. Well,
2: there is something to be said for that—the ability to find a song that, when you come into a market and hear a station like K Rock, that you go, "What the heck?" And you would, and 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 th- that in fact it's so different and so trailblazing. That's one of the unique reasons people still love k rock,
1: yeah. yeah, and it didn't even need to be trailblazing. I don't even think this song would be considered trailblazing, but it was it is one of those head scratching what the what the heck did you play any like weird did you play any weird al did you go did you play any like out of the box dement
0: like dr Demento type of stuff all the
2: the the novelty songs were big morning show, yeah look we weren't very funny, so we needed the the novelty songs to carry the funny,
1: yeah. <laughs> good strategy okay let's uh, wrap this up with number 91 pet shop boys why don't we live together this is a song that's it's the closing track from their album please this is a song that didn't make it on the charts but k-rock played it because they liked it and it's it sounds like pet shop boys it has that driving sound the the dry vocals it's it, it's a it's a good solid pet shop boy song in my book
3: i find you, when I want you. Late night The woman in me shouts out The man in me just smiles
1: Where are you on
2: Pet Shop Boys, Buzz? Love West End Girls, probably the only Pet Shop Boys song I know. Right, right. No, that's,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's okay, you're not alone. No, you may know a couple of others if we play them for you, but not not everybody, it's not everybody's thing.
1: But did you, even though this wasn't a single, Holly, did you remember this me? song? Yeah. You do remember, okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: You won't, you, you probably won't be able to, to talk to me about a Pet Shop Boys song that I don't remember and don't. Really like Dave and I saw them recently, but they are visually. Even though it's just the two of them, the lights, everything about their show is like visually delicious to me. I just love it. <laughs> well, did that, you not remember the song, Dave?
1: Vaguely, not not too much. I did not own the the Pet Shop Boys Please album. Do you know why they called? I think we yeah. talked about why they called it yeah. Please. Yes. They call I'll tell Buzz. They called it Please because they wanted to go into a record store and say, "Can I have the Pet Shop Boys album, please?"
2: Okay. I love it. That's a strategy.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what was your first record that you bought? Carol King Tapestry. <laughs> nice. Good one. A good, yeah. solid choice. There. You, where This was in Connecticut where you were growing up? What, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And do you know the, the name of the record? Was it a record store or was it Sears? Where'd you get it?
2: I used to go to a place called the Record Rack. And what was cool about the Record Rack is if you knew a particular release was coming out, You'd go there the day before and you'd pay probably a buck more to get it a day before, before it was officially released. You thought you were a big deal when you did that, even though
1: nobody cared. I would li- <laughs> so you just kind of slid him. I'd like the pitch up a boys album, please. And then you slide him a dollar bill. Maybe this will change it. Sorry. It doesn't come out tomorrow. Maybe this will change your mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He'd go in the back room. Yeah. I love it. Nice. Okay, good tip. Good to know. We didn't do that at the warehouse or music class. Hard to believe these record store people could be bribed with. uh...
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We had you talk much longer than you probably intended.
2: I had a lot of fun. I hope uh, you could find something useful in everything I said.
1: For sure, we will. Who else is coming up on the podcast in a couple weeks?
2: John Anderson from Yes. Brian Johnson, Macy DC. Wow.
1: wow, that was great. How's Brian's hearing? He doing okay?
2: Yeah, he's got some nice new hearing aids. So. Great, great, yeah. great.
1: Okay, good. Can I ask if he's officially in the band, or is he is he in or out? As far as he knows, he's okay.
0: <laughs> okay, you'll have to listen to the podcast, Dave. Okay, all right, all
1: right. <laughs> anyway, it is. It, I love the podcast. It's actually kind of like a chill podcast, or you know, like I'm listening to it. It's like this is, you know, we're taking a stroll through the country yeah. hall of fame, and it, but it's just kind of. It's not like high energy, go, 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 go. You know, like you're walking and huffing and puffing. It's just fun. You're very
0: zen. Yeah, yeah oh, I'm sorry. Is, it is. Well, you're, thank you. So I appreciate it.
1: it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will uh, see you further down the road. Thank, thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you,
2: thank you Buzz. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We learned a little bit about Buzz Knight. We learned a little bit about KROQ from 1986. First time I heard the name Buzz Knight, I was like, oh, my God. Did they get this name from Toy Story?
0: Long before Toy Story, Buzz was, as we've learned, Buzz was coined Buzz. But I also like that it kind of came, even though he needed, he required a nickname, that it came sort of organically, that he didn't make up his own name.
1: No, you can't, unless you're Sting.
0: I had a boyfriend in high school who was a singer, and he wanted a nickname so badly. And he said, kind of like Sting, and he came up with his own nickname. It never took hold, but he came up with the name Zip.
1: Ah, no. No. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, well, like I said, it never it never took hold. I sure. I think it had to do with some of the like clothes he was wearing with extra zippers at the time. Oh, okay. But yeah, no. Nope. Yeah.
1: When you think zip, you think zero now. So I, <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly. what I. That was the first thing that I
0: thought. Of. I known Buzz. I met him many years ago, so he was always Buzz, and I never even thought to ask if it was. <laughs> That was a nickname, but I guess it's obvious now.
1: Yeah. One of the nice things about social media is we get reacquainted with uh, a lot of people that we we knew in previous lives. Nice to reach out to him and learn a lot about radio. I I enjoyed that tremendously, more so than The the Countdown, although there were some very good songs on this list. We're going to try this again next week.
0: How about that? Try. Try. We're going to do this again next week.
1: All right. Wonderful. Like to hear that. Uh, In the meantime, how can they keep track of what's going on, though? What difference does it make world?
0: You will find us on social media at WDDIM podcast and outtakes from this chat with Buzz and most of our others on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make podcast.
1: love to hear that. Wonderful. Please subscribe to the actual podcast, which comes out every Friday. And visit our YouTube page and everything else. We will return on Friday. So until that
0: time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.